Hi, my name is Brady Huggett, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at Spectrum. And this week, we are publishing a long article titled The New History of Autism, written by David Dobbs. And we wanted to sit down with David and talk about how he did this work. What did he read? Uh, Who did he speak with? What were the names that have been lost to time, these people who made major contributions to the field of autism and didn't really get the recognition that they deserve? And so that's what this is. The, The first part of the article is published on our website now. But here I am talking with David Dobbs about his work. Hi, David. So first off, just thanks for joining and agreeing to talk about your article. But the the first thing I think we want to ask about is, you know, why was this a topic that you're interested in and we wanted to do this article in the first place? I got a hold of this at the invitation of Spectrum, who said that they wanted a contemporary history of autism, that is. And I I knew that the this was, uh, this history was sort of liquid at the time with some new findings suggesting that there were new players in the history that had gone overlooked. That piqued my interest right away. And it turned out to be a, a fascinating kind of pool to dive in. Yeah, the the idea of a contemporary look at the history of it, I mean, most people probably know there's a really big book called Neurotribes out not long ago, I think 2015, and that seemed really comprehensive, but you're saying there were new things that have been discovered since the book came out. That is true. Some of the, some of the new stuff uh, came out in that book, actually, and I certainly this, this fairly short article can't compete with the scope of Steve Silverman's wonderful book which is uh, about 400 pages long. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, these things have been breaking in the last five to 10 years, especially uh, a little bit older than that too. But especially in the last five or 10 years, they've come into more focus as more people took uh, a look at them and dug into the records of the contributions of people who really hadn't got credit before hmm. in the history of autism studies. Yeah. So how did you actually go about doing it? Well, I I just I hit the primary sources as much as I could. I I read uh, reread sections of Stevens' book and went uh, into um, the papers. One key early paper was a paper by John Elder Robinson on the role played by George Frankel and Anna Weiss, uh, in particular, two of the pe- three people that have been most overlooked. And um, there were some other excellent papers. A little bit more obscure than John Elder Robinson's by uh, two scholars that that f- a few years ago um, brought to the fore the contributions of Grunya Sukareva, a Russian psychiatrist who worked in the 19, beginning in the 1920s on kids who have what we would now call autism, um, autistic traits. Uh, and those two, Sula Wolf in 1996 had published a, a translation of the Sukareva paper on the first five, six people she wrote about. Mm-hmm. And then it was only in 2019 that someone else translated and published the uh, second paper on uh, five more people who had autism in her practice. So the, there was a lot of uh, diving into just uh, academic papers and academic journals to to dig this out. Yeah, you went into the literature is what you're saying. Yeah, so it's been reading read the literature. Yeah, um, that that's where most of the the fruit came from. And so, what were what were the main findings? Well, this was all new to me. As I uh, as I said, I, I'd heard and and read 
short pieces on some of these people, but I hadn't really quite registered the um, the importance of what they contributed and the critical timing in the way they did. Now, the the biggest figure, uh, take home figure out of this to me, is the psychiatrist Grunia Sukareva, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. who was a Soviet psychiatrist. Um, one of the most renowned in in Soviet Union and Russia uh, from the 20s into through the rest of her life, which ended, I believe, if I'm remembering right, in the 1970s. And she worked at a uh, at a children's clinic that was also a, a residential treatment place for y- young kids who had all kinds of psychiatric issues. And she identified 11 children there who had a certain sort of type, a a set of traits in common that kind of overlapped and took different instantiations in different kids, but for her marked out a sort of type of patient that hadn't been identified before. Now that's exactly what Asperger and Condor did almost 20 years later. Um, But she did this in 1926 and 1927. She published those two papers. To my eyes, she's uh, clearly the first person to to do this. And if uh, we want to use the nomenclature that was long used for uh, Connor, who was called the father of autism studies, then the real parentage credit goes to <laughs> Grunya Sukareva, who published a, a paper similar to his in many ways uh, almost 20 years earlier. So, so the big, and you mentioned this in the article, but the big question is, you know, is it possible that both Asperger and Kenner never came across her work? And, and you suggest that's not possible. Well, I, I believe I wrote that it, it is possible. But not but, plausible. But in, uh, un, unlike, unlikely yeah, or implausible. Yeah. It seems implausible because she was, now the, the Soviet Union uh, was isolated in some ways from the rest of the world while it was the Soviet Union, and this extended to its medicine. At the same time, uh, it's not as if no one had ever heard of Soviet psychiatry or even Gronya Sukareva. Connor, for instance, cited a a different paper by Sukareva in one of his papers, but did not mention her in his paper, his his paper he wrote about autism in 1943, that put autism on the map, and and won him his fame. She was not mentioned there. There were only uh, 11 or 12 references in his paper, and uh, no co-authors. Um, that was the kind of the citation customs of the day were yeah. far less yeah. expansive than they yeah. they are. Um, so you have to kind of go through your fingers to see what all had to happen for uh, him to not know of her. It's Again, it seems unlikely because we knew he knew of her work. Um, and and he, he'd, he'd, he'd read the journal that she'd published. I mean, she, he may not have read that specific journal that included her work, but he'd read that journal. So it wasn't as he if it wasn't accessible to him. He had read the same journal in which she published her papers yeah, in. Yeah. She, he had read because he cited other papers from it and other papers of his. So she was part of the literature stream that he was familiar with, he and his team, it somewhat beggars imagination to to think that uh, they would never have come across her autism papers. But it's hard to reconstruct things as they were then, and it's 
yet there it is. He didn't credit her, and neither did Osberger. And Osberger was closer, being in being in uh, Vienna, was kind of closer to the literature that Sukareva read, and almost certainly was um, exposed to some of the journals she published in. But he did not either cite her in any way or give her any mention. So this is someone who wrote papers in 26 and 20, 1926 and 1927 that were, in a sense, echoed by Asperger's paper, uh, Connor's paper of 1943 and Asperger's of 1944, yet there was neither gave her any acknowledgement. It's a very strange thing. Yeah. Um, in Asperger's case, some of this might have been done. This f- does not excuse it. It could explain it. So, some of this might have been the uh, violent anti-Semitism that was at work in Austria, when he was writing and publishing his paper, this is a time when they were firing Jews just because they were Jews, and uh, they were rarely cited in by fellow scientists at the time. Yeah, and Grunier um, was Jewish. And and Grunier was was Jewish exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's sort of the main figure that seems to be lost to history. But there were a couple others that you dug out as well, Frankel and and. They are yeah, two very interesting characters who uh, have kind of like a zealot like. <laughs> Uh, presence and absence in in this story. Uh, they they were um, Anna Weiss, W E I S S, and George Frankel, who both worked in Asperger's practice when he was um, coming into contact with the kids that he would write about in his paper, and then uh, Frankel moved in 1937 to the United States and joined the practice, excuse me, 1938, and joined the practice of Connor, while just as Connor was beginning to focus on uh, the patients, the, the, the people he wrote about in his 1944 paper. So Frankel, it seems, and John Elder Robson, as well as uh, Stephen Haswell Todd, another scholar who wrote a um, dissertation about this, both of them make great arguments that Frankel had two contributions. One one was his identification of what he called affective, a lack of affective contact, that is emotional contact, um, among kids of a, a, a handful of children he'd seen in um, both Austria and then later uh, the United States. And this was kind of one piece of the puzzle of the, the, that became put together by Asperger and Connor. One of the traits was this remove mm-hmm. of these children. And he wrote about that as early, was writing, writing and thinking about that while he was in Asperger's practice. He then moved to the United States where he pursued, uh, he actually wrote a, worked on a paper about that while he was working with Connor. And... So that's one idea he contributed, to, at least by osmosis, to both of these other, both Osberger and Connor. The other thing he brought to Connor's practice, of course, was experience with um, Osberger's patients because he was uh, one of the frontline clinicians in Osberger's practice working with these children that uh, Osberger later wrote about. Likewise, he was a frontline clinician in Connor's practice as he worked with the children that he would write about. 
in, and he knew these children very well, as did Anna Weiss, um, because both of these clinics were like Grunia Sukarevas in that they had a day clinic in which patient day patients would come, but it was also a residential uh, setting where kids stayed and studied and lived twenty four seven with the, with the staff watching them and uh, working with them, teaching them, and coming to know them uh, really, really, well. yeah, intimately. I mean, they had access to them for twenty four hours a day. You're going to learn a lot. Yes, yes, and they were, so they were just um, really immersed in this. Frankel and Weiss. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I also remember that Frankel eventually moved away from the field and didn't study it any longer. And uh, and it was tied, I think, to, you know, he just, when he was doing that work, it was a rough time in his life and he didn't want to revisit it anymore. Is that right? It was. He had, he had struggled with these papers. Um, he, he wrote, he published one alongside, in 1944, alongside the uh, Connor's kind of, you know, seminal paper in which mm-hmm. he first wrote about his 11 patients. Uh, and it was it was about this uh, lack of affective contact in um, some children. Uh, but he had been working on that it, while he was in Austria, while it was unraveling and becoming a sort of hellscape yeah. that, that he left, came to the United States, and uh, was working uh, under you know happier circumstances certainly in Connor's lab, but still struggling with these ideas, and um, he he did leave that that work behind um, not long after he came to Connor's Connor's uh, clinic. He yeah. worked there for a few years and then and moved elsewhere to do just to run a, a psychiatric clinic rather than work directly with patients. So really, kind of disappeared. Into the mist, he and he and Vice did, uh, but their contributions to Connor's, uh, to both Asperger's and Connor's practices and perspectives were really quite substantial, since they were both part of the Asperger's clinical team that discussed these cases, and Frankel was part of Connor's team as well, and yeah. they had both written on these issues. Yeah, it's it's funny they're they're. Uh, just to get at the material that was there and feel confident that I had gotten it all, all, as much of it was out there was I had my I had my hands full. I think I read about sixty papers to to do this thing, and um, and the, and you know towards the margins of them they kind of bled over. But it was it was absolutely fascinating look at how clinics of that time worked. This intimate immersion in these children's lives and how sensitive um, all three of the clinicians I was just talking about, Sukareva, Franklin, and Weiss, how sensitive they were to these children's experiences. Uh, their patient accounts that are in their papers, they read novelistically. You don't yeah. see writing like this with that kind of sensitivity very often these days, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know, uh, I mean, history is always being reinterpreted, of course, but do you feel like in this case that you have gotten it all? As you said, you just read 60 papers. Do you feel like this is pretty exhaustive? Uh, well, it, yeah, up to a point. I mean, um, there's a book to be written here probably. So it seems to me almost certainly about Grunia Sukareva. Um, it would it would take someone who either had a very friendly uh, Russian translator or knowledge of Russian oneself to to do that. Um, there seem to be even in the last uh, 
last month since I've done this, there has been some new photos found of Sukareva. So I, I, I think that, that there's still Sukareva, my sense is there's still Sukareva material to unearth and go through and identify among what she did about this that could that could uh, sort of enrich the picture of, of her contribution. But her, her two papers, uh, one on six boys and then one, and one on five girls, from 1926 and 1927 are really, they're unrecognized landmarks in the history of psychology and autism studies. And we have those new photos of Grunia up on our website, actually. Okay, listen, that's perfect. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us about it. And it's really nice work. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.